In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. It's a wonderful night for Oscar, 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 who will win? The categories in this order are... (laughs) Who the hell was that? (laughs) Then they... (laughs) Carla, what's going on? We should probably sit in such a way where we can see each other. <laughs> I can see you. Can you see me? He does say something like Oscar. He sings Billy Crystal. I get the reference. <laughs> Who will win the nominees for da 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 da? Like that's the way it goes, right? Does it? I don't know. I think he sings a medley of the nominated movies, which was much easier when there was only five nominees. But then he'll he's like, Oscar, Oscar, who will win the nominees for Best Picture? And then he will like announce the the movie that he's parodying that way. <laughs> okay. I'm fucking post this online. Craig's listeners <laughs> or Carla, please send in the exact video with the exact thing that Carla is claiming Billy Crystal says <laughs> when he sings his Oscar Oscar medley. Hi, Craig's listeners. It's time for our best of 2017 episode. We're also going to do our Oscar picks. We're trying to coincide this episode with the Academy Awards on March 4th, Sunday. 2018. Uh, That's correct. For the year 2017. So Carla and I are going to give you our top 10 movies of the year each. We're going to do our top 10 performances of the year. We're also going to make our Oscar predictions and let you know who we think should win. Uh, Carla, we're recording this in Portland. In You're the, sprawled out on the bed. I am sprawled like out a, on the like bed. A fancy lady. <laughs> I'm so like a fancy lady. Your legs are crossed and you're sitting around like someone's going to feed bonbons to your mouth. Oh, I'd love to have bonbons in my mouth right now. We had a great weekend in Seattle. We did. We did the Seattle Improv Fest. We had an A show and a... Solid B. Solid B show. If you guys saw the shows, uh, we won't tell you which was which. We'll leave you guessing, but uh, we had a great time up there, and uh, it's snowing in Portland right now. Yeah, it's weird. It hasn't snowed since Christmas. Uh, I'm visiting for the weekend, and we're we're getting this episode in uh, while I'm here, so we've we've got it in the bank and uh, can release it accordingly on Oscar week. We've done four improv shows, four nights in a row. Four nights of improv in a row. I'm a little improved out. Me too. I don't want to look at improv for a week. I'm also about to go through a week of an emotional roller coaster <laughs> because my longtime theater in Los Angeles, the IO West, is closing down at the end of the week. So literally a week from tonight and next week I have to do like my final classes, my yeah. final show of quartet, my final show with my Herald team, my final class performances. So I'm there like every night next week. It's going to be very emotional. And then we're yeah. also saying goodbye for three weeks tomorrow. So we'll be back in three weeks. 
I'll be back in Portland in three weeks. Plenty of time to diet before you come back and eat a lot of food again. <laughs> we ate so much this weekend. <laughs> we had a great time. But let's get right into uh, movies. That's why we're here, Carla. By the way, I just wanted to say that it's been really sweet uh, this weekend in Seattle and in Portland. We did a couple shows in Portland. People have come out who listen to the podcast, and I just wanted to say thanks, you guys. That's that's thanks. amazing. We met you some Craig's so listeners in Seattle. Incredible. We met some Craig's listeners in Portland. Yes, uh, a woman came to the show tonight uh, at Curious just to see us like do this jam and. She was so nice. And uh, anyways, it just makes me feel so happy that people are listening. <laughs> people are listening. That's amazing. People are listening and connecting with us and wanting to meet us in real life. And we keep letting them down. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I guess that was fine. Yeah. <laughs> they're not at all like the Craig and Carla characters that we enjoy so much on the podcast. No, it's been really cool. I don't know... I- I don't know how to uh, communicate my gratitude uh, in a way that doesn't sound stupid. So I just want to say thanks. Yeah, that sounded so stupid. <laughs> You're so stupid, Carla. <laughs> Anyways, it's been really nice. Thanks, you guys. Carla, I feel like people keep talking about 2017 is an amazing year for film. Who? Uh, well, specifically Steve on the Slate Culture Gab Fest, which oh, is right. the podcast we listen to every week. Yeah, uh, I I love Stephen Metcalf, but he's also <laughs> like a really pretentious um, sob. Yeah, he uses uh, um, four syllable words he's for very, everything. He's a very smart guy, um, but I feel like he keeps they keep reviewing new notable movies for 2017, and he's like, "This has been an amazing year for film," and I don't know that that's true. I I've, I I'm. A, a film aficionado and I like most years <laughs> like I always find really interesting things every year I feel like there's been a lot of interesting conversations about movies this year mm-hmm. uh, I it's odd because going into the Oscars this year I literally had seen I, there's usually I'm usually pretty on top of what's happening because we are SAG members and we get all the SAG screeners around the holidays to vote Bragging. for the uh, humble brag, sag, humble sag, <laughs> humble sag after. Yeah. But we usually get access to a lot of the movies and we go to the movies a lot. So I feel like we, we get to see most of the notable movies. But when the Oscar nominations came out this year at the end of January, I literally had seen every movie that was nominated other than Mudbound, I was halfway through on Netflix, uh, and then I finished it, and then I had not seen All the Money in the World, and I went to see that the next week in the theater, and then I had seen every picture, writing, acting, and directing nominee already, so I feel like... You've done your homework. I had done my homework, but I feel like a lot of people do not make it to these movies until the nominations come out, which then has the additional burden of... Oh well, this is an Oscar nominee. Uh, I, you know, and so it feels like it feels like homework to going to see these movies. I feel like so many people approach these movies begrudgingly, like already with a chip on the. Me? Maybe sometimes you, but I most you know, I, I feel like the a couple months after the Oscar nominations come out is nothing but posts of people saying that these movies aren't all that. You know, I feel like La La Land was the movie last year that people are like, 
what is this movie and uh, why do I have to go see it and everything? I'm like, well, if you're already predisposed to not like it, you can skip it. Right, but there's also this whole thing of like, the Oscars are such a bore because... Well, it's just, it's really exciting because it's movie stars in dresses, right? (laughs) (laughs) And that's really fun. But it's, it like puts this pressure on the movie to be everything that a movie should be. And then you watch it and you're like, I don't know. (laughs) You like go in with these high expectations. Yes. And I think that happens every year. And that happened with La La Land. I think we saw La La Land before. We did. When yeah, we loved early it. on. We loved it in the movie theater. You loved it. I liked it a lot. <laughs> and uh but I do think that there's and I I have more to say about this with my list this year, but there's like so many things where you're like, Oh, where you hear this is an amazing movie and then you go in and you have this expectation for it to be all to je- to check off all the boxes, you know, for you. And it it just it feels like it's um a hype machine that ultimately ends up letting the movie down. <laughs> hmm. Well, I, and I, I think it also works the other way too, where like that person who saw La La Land after it got nominated and was like, "Fuck that movie," told all their friends that, and then there's that friend who then six months later saw La La Land and was like, "Hey, that wasn't that bad." Yeah, like the pendulum kind of swings wildly back and forth according to where you are in the cultural timeline of connecting with this thing. Yeah, yeah you might be pleasantly surprised after you've heard the backlash. Right. You know. But I think my point is, because I had seen everything this year, there are some of the major nominees this year that I really did not care for. And it's not because of backlash. It's because I saw them at the first possible opportunity. I was like, ah, that wasn't that good. Mm -hmm. Um, And we'll talk more specifically about those movies. But it feels like you... Are not caught up with everything this year. I'm not. I'm going to apologize. I've been very, very busy. The job that I have, which is a really fun job, but it takes up. You're an artistic director. Co-artistic director. It's very exciting. And artistic director, along with somebody else, making you the co-artistic right. director. And it's uh, a super fun job, but it takes up so much time. And I'm going and seeing it comedy shows every night of the week just to you know be at the theater anyways Ugh, comedy it's shows just, uh, i'm not complaining i really like the job but i haven't been able to devote any time to seeing a lot of films this year and i honestly i've always loved movies but since we've been together that's kind of our thing every year is that we'll go see we'll take two weeks before and after christmas and go see everything and that's kind of what we do but that just didn't happen this year because we were apart so I guess we were together technically at that time. We were together but during... But we were in Portland and not everything was open. Like in LA, that's true. all the movies come out Yes, at that time. Portland didn't get a lot of these Oscar movies until January. Yeah, right. and we were there together in November, December. But we were we were fairly on top of stuff and then we got a fair amount of screeners after that. I got you the screeners. I don't think you've watched all these I screeners. I haven't. Well, here's, I'll just say the things that I missed out on that I feel bad that I've missed out on. These are the things you feel like you should have seen. Yeah, and so they're not on my list. And, you know, again, listeners, I apologize. I have not done my homework very well to prepare for this one. But I did not see Coco, and I heard that that was incredible. Really great. Yeah. Yes. I did not see um, Florida Project devastating because <laughs> I was for sure that was one that I really wanted to see and I just have not had time yep. I didn't want to watch it on a screener or anything I wanted to see it on the big screen and I just haven't had time so I know that I'm gonna I have a feeling I'm really gonna like both of those movies I think you will um I did not 
What else did I not see? Dunkirk. But he, I purposely did not see Dunkirk. I think it's... I love it. You'll you'll hear more about it when we do my top 10, but I don't think it's for you. I might see it at some point, but I just didn't feel like... A friend of mine had described it as a 90-minute heart attack, and I thought, <laughs> that's not for me. That's pretty accurate. Um, But that's probably one that is going to be winning a lot of awards, I'm assuming, this year. Definitely a lot of technical awards that probably there, but I think it'll win four or five technical Oscars this year. I did not finish Call Me By Your Name. <laughs> I'm going to go back and finish it. Mm-hmm. I watched about 25 minutes of it and I turned it off because I was so tired. Yeah, yeah. And it wasn't, I've heard incredible things about this movie. Here's, I was a little turned off by how much older What's-His-Face looks from What's-His-Face. <laughs> <laughs> sure, everybody knows what you're talking about. Uh, Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet. Yeah. yeah, I was just like, I had a hard time getting on board. And actually, everything that I saw, they weren't even falling in love or anything. It's it a takes very a while. slow build. It takes a while. Um, but I was just kind of like, I'm supposed to be okay with this adult man hooking up with this kid. I don't know. It felt weird. Uh, That's not to say that I'm not going to like it when I watch it and maybe it'll make more sense. Yeah. I don't think you're the only person. I think that's been a point of conversation about the movie. Yeah. I haven't heard too much about that movie, honestly, Um, except that it's made a lot of people cry. Yeah. I liked it. It's in my top 15 for the year. It's not in my top 10. Okay. Spoilers ahead. But I, I would say top 15 lovely movie uh and very good acting in the movie i really thought the acting was fantastic all throughout it helps to think of it as a merchant ivory movie because james ivory did Mm -hmm. write it you know so it does have kind of like that slow prestige uh shot in a beautiful part of europe (laughs) you know um a lot of you know sunsets and slow fades kind of thing um yeah, I don't think I liked it as much as other people did, but I, I respected it a lot. Um, so those are, I think, the big and four. Sh- Shape of Water you gave up halfway I, through? Yeah, I watched the first hour of Shape of Water with my roommate and her boyfriend, and I was like, yeah, this is not this is not for me. <laughs> like, I really didn't like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I've gotten some real strong uh, feedback about that opinion from circles of friends who there's a lot of people who really love that movie and you know what i'm happy for you guys i thought the acting wasn't great (laughs) i thought it was beautiful to look at beyond that i didn't get the story i didn't get why she fell in love with this fish man (laughs) after she gave him a couple eggs like i didn't understand and and then i don't know it just like if i felt like i knew what was going to happen at the end the next morning I talked to my roommate and her boyfriend and I was like, here's what I thought was going to happen. And I told them and they're like, yeah, that's what happened. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not, that's not my movie. The Oscar handicapping for shape of water is that Guillermo del Toro is the odds on favorite for director this year. Everybody thinks he's guaranteed to win. That's what I mean. I just don't, it's so, it's such a dumb thing. (laughs) It is, you know, like it's not dumb. It's just so subjective, right? It's, completely subjective (laughs) yeah and it's just so hard to qualify art in that way i yeah when i was younger i loved it because it it was just like a fun time to celebrate movies the older that i get the more critical i feel about it because it's just i've just seen too many movies to know and i understand that everybody you know the worst movie that i've ever seen somebody somewhere loves that (laughs) 
movie. <laughs> Absolutely. And somebody worked their ass off on that movie yeah, too. Yeah, and people yeah. put a lot of time and effort into that, including The Shape of Water. I love I love the Oscars. I really do. And it was actually my first uh, entre, entre, entre. Oh, boy. It was my first entry point into quantifying art, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, quantifying. I said qualifying. Did I mean quantify? Uh, I think you meant quantify. Great. Yeah. Glad that that happened. <laughs> <laughs> And I know it's I know it's ridiculous. I think it's also it's a great way to learn about the industry and learn about uh, all the different roles that people have that go into making movies. You know, so I mm-hmm. like that there's technical awards. You know, and so and so you know I, I learned what cinematography was by watching the Oscars. Um, some years they get it really wrong. Some years they get it really right. Um, but I, I think it's always it's a good way to get conversations started about movies. Obviously, every year there are th- great things that are left out. There's kind of shaky things that, for whatever reason, are trumpeted by the industry and celebrated. Mm-hmm. You know, and what was that movie with Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio? Yeah, the Scorsese. What was that movie? called? Desperate Men or something. <laughs> <laughs> the Departed, I think, the is de- what you. <laughs> that you call it. Desperate movie man was the worst. <laughs> it's not great. It's I don't not great. And believe me, you know that I'm a big Scorsese fan, Ugh. and uh, that is one of his more mediocre movies. And who knows? Like that was the year that everybody decided it's Marty's year. You know, mm-hmm. here's the year he's getting Best Picture, he's getting Best Director. You know, uh, but I don't get it. Not. Not one of his best. Nope. Um, I feel like there was a real run of shakiness in the mid 2000s because you had Crash, you had The Departed, mm-hmm. you had, um, uh, I, I want to say Bollywood Millionaire. What's it called? Slumdog Millionaire. <laughs> Bollywood Millionaire. I liked Slumdog Millionaire. Yeah. I saw it once though. I liked it when I saw it. But I think there, there was a real kind of run of like, these are not really the best movies of the year. But. I feel like they've they've been doing pretty well lately. The mm-hmm. odds on favorites this year, apparently for Best Picture, are it's a toss up between three bo- three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, mm-hmm. Shape of Water, and Get Out. Mm. So, um, but let's uh, let's talk about the screenplay categories. So, I think for each category, let's do what we would personally like to win and what we think will win. So we're doing it. all the Oscars, and then we're doing our top ten movies, and then we're doing our top ten performances. This should take about four hours. Is that cool? <laughs> do you do you have that amount of time? That was the subtext of the question. Yes. <laughs> we're only going to cover the major uh, Oscars, which are the writing, acting, directing, and picture categories. I'll throw out a couple of opinions for the other categories. I really hope this is Roger Deakins' year for cinematography. He still hasn't won. He's We've lost about before, like right? twelve or thirteen times. Yeah, that's- uh, he's. Bonkers. And he's nominated for the Blade Runner sequel this year, which was so cool how he shot that. And I think uh, it seems like it's uh, Roger Deakins' year. I really hope that Coco wins animated feature. I think it's the odds-on favorite. Uh, Pixar usually wins every year in this category, so I think the odds are good. And I really like The Square for foreign language film. Okay, so The Square is one that we watched like 45 minutes of together, and I fell asleep but just because it was late, but I was so into it. Yeah. I was I, really into it. It Spoilers ahead, it did make my top 10 for the year. 
Uh, but I brought the disc up for you so you can finish it's watching Blu-ray, it. Right? No, no, it's a regular DVD. Oh, good. Yeah, then Carla does not it. have access to a Blu-ray player. Yeah. Uh, the nominees for adapted screenplay are "Call Me by Your Name" by James Ivory, "The Disaster Artist" by Scott Newstatter and Michael H. Weber, "Logan" by Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green. Molly's Game by Aaron Sorkin, Mudbound by Virgil Williams and Dee Reese. What is your pick? Uh, I I personally would go for Logan. Really? Um, just because I I I really liked Logan. Uh, it's probably the deepest uh, uh, superhero movie that's been made yet. Like it really is done like an intense like R-rated drama. Uh, I loved Hugh Jackman in, in Logan. I thought it was really well-written. Um, the Disaster Artist, I think we really enjoyed. Like, it was a fun movie to watch. I don't know that the script was... Yeah. Uh, because it kind of focused on the friendship between Tommy and uh, What's-His-Face, right? Between the Franco mm-hmm. brothers. But I think I just wanted to know more uh, all about everybody who was involved in making the movie. Um, Call Me By Your Name is going to win, though. James Ivory, who was in his 90s, uh, who, of course, did all the classic Merchant Ivory movies, Howard's End, Remains of the Day. I've seen them all. Room with a View. Um, I think he's definitely going to win this for Call Me By Your Name. And it, it would be a well-deserved win, but I would go for Logan, personally. Okay. Uh, how about you? I don't feel like I've seen any of those, have I? Well, you saw Molly's Game, you saw no. Disaster Artist, no. and you saw 20 Minutes of Call Me By Your Name. Yeah. I don't have a vote on that one. Okay. I don't. I didn't like... Uh, Molly's Game was okay. Disaster Artist, I had a problem, big problems with. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you think Call Me By Your Name is going to win, though? Sure. Let's say that. Okay. <laughs> Original screenplay. You got Big Sick by Emily Gordon and Kumail Nanjiani. Get Out by Jordan Peele, Lady Bird by Greta Gerwig, Shape of Water by Guillermo del Toro and Vanessa Taylor, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri by Martin McDonough. That actually, this actually is a very tough category because there's a lot of good uh, contenders here. And we're saying who we think we should win, who we think should win, or who we, th- or who we, who we would like to win, or who we think will win. My both. I think that Martin McDonough will win. I think that maybe Jordan Peele should win, hmm. but I also really liked Three Billboards script. Yes, uh, we'll talk more about Three Billboards. I did not care for it personally. I, in particular, thought the writing was really bad in it. But I, I do think Martin McDonough is an incredible writer of dialogue. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, he's just a very clever writer. And I think that's a lot of what people are really responding to. Um, I would not be surprised if he won. I thought Shape of Water, the screenplay, was the weakest part of it. Me too. I thought the technical aspects of it were just gorgeous, but I feel like the story was really weak. Um, I love the script for Lady Bird. I love the script for Get Out. I love the script for Big Sick. I would be happy if any of those won. I think I think you're right that Martin McDonough is going to win this category. I personally would go for Greta Gerwig's script for Lady Bird. Great. If I had to vote. Um, supporting actress. You have Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, Allison Janney for I, Tanya, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. Well, I only saw two of those, really. Okay. 
And Allison Janney and Laurie Metcalf were two of my favorite performances of the year. Me too. Spoilers ahead. They're in my top 10. I think I bet, it's a toss up. I think Allison Janney will. I don't know. I mean, I know Allison Janney has been winning most of the awards going up to it, but that's the category that always kind of shocks people, right? Yes. So it could be Laurie Metcalf who gets it. I'm going to go with Laurie Metcalf just to just be a wild card. Okay. Yeah, I'd be happy with either Allison Janney or Laurie Metcalf. I was a little surprised that Holly Hunter was not nominated for Big Sick. Yeah. Um, maybe just too many moms in that category, too many nightmare moms. Yeah. Um, Octavia Spencer has won already a couple of years ago. Mary J. Blige and Leslie Manville, I feel like the nomination is the award in their case. Mm-hmm. I think it's a toss-up between Metcalf and Janney. Um, I think Allison Janney is my favorite of those, and I think she will win. Okay. Uh, supporting actor, you have Willem Dafoe <laughs> for The Florida Project, Woody Harrelson for Three Billboards, Richard Jenkins for Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer for All the Money in the World, Sam Rockwell for Three Billboards. I did not see All the Money in the World. Or Florida Project. And I did not see Florida Project. And you you loved Willem Dafoe in that, right? Yes. He is my personal favorite in this category. Um, I think he gave the best performance of those. But I think Sam Rockwell is the odds-on favorite for three billboards. And I think he will win. Okay. I don't know. I don't have an opinion. Um, I didn't see enough of those to be able to pick. I love Richard Jenkins. He's one of my... Hey, guys. Is this going really well? (laughs) I have no opinion on any of this stuff so far. <laughs> I love Richard Jenkins. He's one of my favorite actors. I thought he gave a bad performance in Shape of Water. I didn't like him in it either. I think he's a great actor. I don't think he was bad. I, I think it was a poorly conceived part. Yeah. Guys, write in. I know you're angry. I know people love this movie. Let us know. Let us know how angry you are that we are so not romantic. And uh, I really did not like Three Billboards and neither Sam Rockwell or Woody Harrelson made my top 10 supporting actors for the year. You're (laughs) so wrong. Do you like them in that movie? I loved them in that movie. Woody Harrelson broke my heart in this movie. But we'll talk more about it in a little bit. Okay. Actress. You got Sally Hawkins for Shape of Water. You got Frances McDormand for Three Billboards. You got Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. Saoirse Ronan for Lady Bird, Meryl Streep for The Post. A lot of good performances there. Yeah, that's too tough. I think that Frances McDormand will win. She will win. But I really could give it to... Who was the first one? Sally Hawkins. I could give it to anybody except for Sally Hawkins. But you like Sally Hawkins. I love Sally Hawkins. Happy Go Lucky is... like that. The part that she plays in that movie is one of my favorite... Yes. Iconic, like, fantastic female leads... I think she's wonderful. I just, again, I just didn't like this movie that much. So, I yeah. mean, I didn't watch all of it. So is it even fair for me to say that? If she won, I, she's, I'm sure she's a very nice person. I'd be happy for her. <laughs> you know, like I wouldn't be mad if she won. Yeah. I personally would go for Margot Robbie, but Frances McDormand will win this category. Yeah. Actor, you have Timothée Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis. Mm-hmm. In his final acting performance. Yeah, right. And Phant- you did not see Phantom Thread either. I haven't, no. Did you? Yep. Oh, you did. Did you like it? Nope. Oh, okay. Keep going. <laughs> Daniel Kalua for Get Out. Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour. Denzel Washington in Roman J. Israel Esquire. Did you see that? I sure did. Denzel, maybe my favorite actor of all time, yeah, honestly. You've said like that. he's, uh, I mean, he's definitely top five. Mm hmm. This is a bad, this is the worst movie I saw this year, Roman J. Israel, and it's a bad Denzel performance. He's really bad in it. But don't you love that 
Isn't it nice that James Franco isn't nominated? <laughs> it is. And I think probably Denzel got in, uh, you know, at the expense of Franco or um, I have no problem with that. Yeah. yeah. And I actually enjoyed Franco quite a bit in Disaster Riders. I thought he was fun in it, but uh, it would have been tacky in the, the Me Too era to nominate him. And I think I was I was happy to see that he did not get a nomination. Yeah. Um. I I personally would go for Daniel Kaluuya. Mm. Um, I I loved him in Get Out. Yeah, me too. He's um, wonderful. And it's actually kind of unusual because, as the lead in a horror movie, he's mostly reactive to everything that's going on. Mm. You know, I thought everybody was really good: Catherine Keener and Brad Whitford mm-hmm. and uh, Allison Williams, um, and then the creepy staff at yeah. the, at the house and everything. Um, and he just has to react to all that, you know. Uh, I, I loved his performance in that, but I think Gary Oldman's going to win this. Yeah, I think Gary Oldman's going to win. I've only seen three of those movies. I would say that, yes, Daniel from Get Out should win. <laughs> uh, Gary, I don't know. But again, Gary Oldman's great. Whatever. We tried watching that movie. I fell asleep 15 minutes in. I've seen Winston Churchill per- per- portrayed by... <laughs> A lot of people, it feels like. Yeah. And John Lithgow just like, I don't know. It was, it was just last year and he was so incredible, I thought. And The Crown. Darkest Hour feels like just like the greatest hits of Churchill. Yeah. You know, it, it just did not feel like a real movie to me. And I think it just, it pales in comparison to, um, we had the King's Speech not long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, where obviously Churchill's not the main character, but King George is mm-hmm. wonderfully played by your boyfriend, Colin, Colin Firth. And then in The Crown, you had Lithgow as, I think Toby Jones was Churchill in uh, yes. King's Speech, mm-hmm. right? And did a good job. Um, the Crown, you had Lithgow, who had gave an incredible performance. And then, as much as I like Colin Firth in uh, King's Speech, Jared Harris in The Crown was fucking devastating yeah. as King George. Like, he yeah. was so good. And it was uh, toward the beginning of Darkest Hour, uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who's a perfectly great actor, comes in and plays King George. And of like a medium, I'm like, oh, he's not Jared Harris or right. Colin Firth. Right. I'm like, you know, it, well, it's it, just a lot of the same material. And that's, and again, that's like one of those subjective things. It has nothing to do with how the movie was made or, yeah. or, but it's just like, we've are, we've just seen this story told from different points of view <laughs> over the last few years. And so I just, I was just bored right away. And I'm a big, like, I love, I love like British stuff. <laughs> like I really love it yeah <laughs> and I was really bored and also like Dunkirk covered the same territory like they literally cover the uh, the Dunkirk mm. um, oh yeah uh, ep- episode in Darkest Hour yeah, as I well woke, I woke up during that part and saw a little bit of that too yeah um, yeah Gary Oldman's fine he's mm. due you know I think this is a case where it's like a great character actor who's been around for years given a lot of great performances and it's like uh, he's, he's playing always great yeah. he's in makeup and he's playing a famous historical figure of like of course he's gonna win but i don't know that he really you know gave what the my best. favorite gary oldman movie is is the one where he plays the musician oh the immortal beloved <laughs> immortal beloved <laughs> where he plays beethoven where he plays beethoven and it's so romantic and sad i haven't seen it since i was 18 but it was 
I loved that movie. Maybe a future Carla's list. Maybe. Yeah, we'll revisit it. Okay. If you guys liked Immortal Beloved, let me know if I'm being crazy or not. (laughs) Uh, Believe me, Carla, I'll let you know when you're being crazy. Best director, you have Christopher Nolan for Dunkirk, Jordan Peele for Get Out, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, Paul Thomas Anderson for Phantom Thread, Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water. Cool. Who are you picking? Um, Well, Guillermo del Toro, I believe, is going to win this. Amazingly, Christopher Nolan has never been nominated before. It's his first nomination. The only one who's ever been nominated in this category is PTA. PTA. Um, I mean, I'd be perfectly happy if either Jordan Peele or Greta Gerwig won. Me too. Jordan Peele, full disclosure, former student of mine. Oh, full disclosure. Little little bit of a name drop there, but he was an improv student of mine. I would love to see Jordan win for screenplay or director. Well-deserved. Great job, Jordan. But I think Guillermo is going to win this. I could go with Jordan or Greta too, but I think you're right. I think think Guillermo will win it. His buddies have already won multiple times in Yaratu and Cuaron, right? Have mm-hmm. won in this category. They're the big three Mexican director trifecta. Mm-hmm. Uh, picture, you have nine nominees. <laughs> Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, Shape of Water, Three Billboards. I feel like the there's been enough controversy over the content of three billboards that that's going to count against it. Okay. Like remember the way that the Oscars uh, best picture category goes now is everybody ranks their movies from one to nine. And so it's not necessarily the movie that gets the most first place votes. It's the movie that gets the broadest support. Mm. So I feel like last year, maybe La La Land might've had the most first place votes, but it probably had a lot of eight and nine votes as mm. well. And Moonlight was probably in everybody's top three or four. Okay. So that's probably why it won because of broad support. So I think that's going to work against three billboards. So I would not be surprised if Get Out won this. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Shape of Water is probably a more likely bet. But I'm going to go for the long shot and say um, that Get Out is actually going to win this year um i'm gonna say I that per- i would like for get out to win but that i think that the shape of water is gonna win i personally would go for Lady Bird. um i like it slightly more than get out but uh i think get out may win okay cool i'd be happy with that let's All do right, i'm so glad we did that that was good good stuff no i'm so glad we did that first okay cool cool i wasn't being sarcastic carla Let's go through our top 10 performances okay. of the year. Um, so, so before we start this, yes, I would like to say that you could ask me the same question a week from now, and I might have a totally different answer. Okay, let's do it every week then from now on. <laughs> it's, this is, <laughs> and the regular don't... segment on the show, Carla's top 10 performances of 2017. I just, my brain doesn't work this way, so... Meaning like I can't just definitively say the number nine performance that I thought for 2017 is this. Mm. So I just have some performances that I really liked. I kind of ranked them in order of what I feel like maybe I liked watching them. Love it. And, but don't, you know, don't hold me to any of this. Carla, I'm the ranker. Like this is how this. I know. I'm just reminding This is how everyone. this podcast works. Because I yeah. just feel silly because some of my things are like, well... I mean, I feel strongly about all my choices. I just don't know that they're in an order necessarily. Do you have any honorable mention? I do. I have two honorable mentions. Okay. These are ones that just 
didn't quite make your top 10. Yeah. Um, Kevin Klein <laughs> for Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> oh, who did he play? He played the dad in Beauty and the Beast. Okay. I didn't see it. Uh, I did. I wasn't going to. And then I watched it last fall right after I moved to Portland. One day when I was feeling lonely, I was just like, "Ugh, I'll just put on something stupid just to distract me. And I really got into it and he made me sob. I actually discovered that it is streaming on Netflix now. And I'm like, maybe I should watch that. But when it came out, I'm like, fuck you. Beauty and the Beast is perfect as it is. Why are you making us pay i I just hate this whole disney now doing live action versions of agree with you their existing perfect movies i agree with you and when i saw the the preview for it i was like no way this is ridiculous i hate this i hate everything about this but i was really just i just had a free afternoon in like it was either october november and i was just feeling kind of sad and i just turned it on and it was wonderful okay and i loved it i had i I enjoyed it so much i cried like three or four times throughout the movie who directed it i don't know oh i think the guy the chicago guy maybe rob marshall that up okay i don't know i could be making that up um but kevin klein's performance was particularly heartwarming for me you love kevin klein i love kevin klein and it was just like when i saw him as the dad and of course, I can't remember the character's name right now. Yeah. It's a French thing, right? A French name. <laughs> uh, when I saw him, I was like, of course. And that's how I kept feeling about this movie. Like every time somebody new would come in and I was like, of course, Emma Thompson would play Mrs. Potts. <laughs> like, of course, Ewan McGregor is Lumiere. Yeah. Like it was just so perfectly cast and just very sweet and if i had a kid i would totally allow them to watch it and enjoy watching it with them it sounds like a good thing to have on in the background on netflix while i'm cleaning the house yeah so maybe i mean that was the thing that that's why i turned it on and then i ended up like sitting down and really getting engrossed in the movie okay i'll give it a shot yeah it could have been just been the time that i was watching it but that was one of my what are they called honorable mentions honorable mentions and the other one is betty gabriel i think is her name do you know who that is in Get Out? Yeah. She plays... Uh, the maid, right? Georgiana or Georgiana? Yes. She's the grandmother in... Oh, spoilers. The grandmother in the maid's body, <laughs> yes. right? And she has that amazing scene where he's talking to her, trying to find out if like, she had gone through his stuff or something. Yes. And she starts... Doesn't she like cry like that one tear? Yes. And it's... Like, it's one of the most iconic images from the film, I think. So for that moment alone, I give her... Good call. Props. Yeah, she was fantastic. Yeah. Okay, do you have any honorable mentions? Um, I'll throw out Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out. Did not quite make my top 10. Um, He was great. Uh, We loved him since that Black Mirror episode where he's on the Mm -hmm. stationary bike the whole time. Yeah, yeah. Robert Pattinson did a movie called Good Time, which is, I believe, streaming on Amazon right now. And this is kind of like a crime caper set in New York. I heard such good things about this. He gives a fantastic performance in it. He's kind of like this strung out, like low level hood. And it's just kind of following him as he like fucks up this this crime over the course of 24 hours. It's a riveting performance. Um a young woman named Garance Marillier okay. is a French actress, and she was in a movie called Raw, which is streaming on Netflix now. And this is kind of a very 
grounded uh, zombie-ish movie. So it's kind of like a very kind of grounded horror movie about a young woman who is a vegan who's going to veterinarian school and develops a taste for human flesh. Oh, you said I would like this, right? I actually think you would. I think, you know, watch like 20 or 30 minutes and if you're like, I cannot handle this, then okay, then I was wrong about that. But it's very like feminist in a twisted way Mm -hmm. and it it just, it hits a lot of uh, good satirical points about being a young woman going through college and kind of getting away from your parents and their traditions but then it's also like a zombie movie but it's very graphic in parts okay um very graphic with uh sex and violence okay but she's riveting in the main performance i loved christopher Plummer in all the money in the world i think are these still your honorable mentions still honorable mentions yeah um he i kind of felt like oh this is just because of the you know Kevin Spacey was fired. They reshot everything in eight days and somehow Ridley Scott still got the movie edited and out there. So I feel like, oh, they're just nominating him because it's a good story. Um, But he's actually amazing in it. Christopher Plummer's great. I'm not surprised at all. Yeah. And then uh, another older actor who passed away, Harry Dean Stanton, in his final role did this movie called Lucky. And it's streaming on Netflix right now. And uh, it's a very like wonderful, quirky, heartfelt movie about a guy in his 90s kind of dealing with mortality. And knowing that it's Harry Dean Stanton's final performance gives it kind of an extra... I need to see that. Uh, extra emotional boost. So, those are really good picks. Yeah. Good job. So those are the ones that did not quite make my top 10. Who's okay. your number 10? My number 10 is a shared spot. <laughs> Okay, again, you guys, I'm not, this isn't a real list for me, right? These are just performances I really liked. Nope, set in stone. Uh, Number 10, Holly Hunter and Ray Romano as, uh, what's her face, Zoe Kazan, is that her name? Yeah, her parents. Her parents in The Big Sick. Um, They were great. They were wonderful. They, uh, for me, they really made that movie. Uh, And I just, it was so nice to see the two of them. And it was great to see Holly Hunter, who, and I think I've said this before, I've never been a big fan of Holly Hunter, um, but very recently I've started to appreciate her more. Because we just watched Raising Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and Broadcast News, I watched that again not too long ago. Yeah, great um, performance. And uh, uh, Ray Romano, I just thought was so heartbreaking and sweet in this movie. And I laughed and I cried with both of them. Yeah. I never really watched Everybody Loves Raymond, so I never really had... I don't even know if I've seen an episode of it. I've never had an opinion on him. I remember him vaguely as a stand-up. I I, I just thought they created a very realistic married couple in this. I loved his scenes with Kumail Mm -hmm. in particular. Yeah, great pick. Thank you. Who's your number nine? Who's your number ten? Oh, we're doing it it that way. Okay. Um. I loved, and I think you love too, the movie I, Tanya. Yes. <laughs> I loved performances across the board in there. And I actually have three members of the cast of I, Tanya in my top oh, 10. Wow. But my number 10 pick is an actor that I had never seen or heard of before this movie. And his name is Paul Walter Hauser. Okay. And he played Sean, the bodyguard mm-hmm. in I, Tanya. Do mm-hmm. you have him as well? I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This guy, I, and 
I think we talked about it after the movie. Like they could have stunt cast this role with like a famous like Jonah Ray actor, or Jonah Ray or a Seth Rogen. They would have been funny. Like anyone would have been funny in this role. I just really believed this guy. Hundred percent. And in a in a and the character is just ridiculous, you mm-hmm. know, because the story is ridiculous. But at the end, when they show the credits, when they show the real Sean, you realize, oh man. This guy really was this deluded, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, I just thought this guy gave such like a grounded, non-hammy, but hilarious uh, yeah. performance as this character. 100% agree. Yeah. Hats off, Paul Walter Hauser. Nice job. Number nine. My number nine is Woody Harrelson. Three billboards. Yeah. He broke your heart. He broke my heart. <laughs> I mean, I like Woody Harrelson. Whatever. I've never. He was really... in your top ten last year. Was he? Oh, right. Of course. For he played Edge of a teacher. 17. I must love him. <laughs> I must love him. That's right. Oh, thanks for remembering that. Um, no, he just. I mean, this movie. I know we we're going to be talking about this movie coming up in a minute, but what I'll say about his performance is, uh, I just really. He's set up in the beginning as the bad guy and you don't understand why, but you just kind of have to believe that he is. And he does such a great job of just filling in the blanks for how, (laughs) how, how he got to this place and why he's just doing his job, (laughs) you know, like he's just trying to do his job. And then, I mean, okay, you guys, this is a big spoiler. <laughs> so if you've not seen Three Billboards and you want to turn it off, right, turn it off right now or fast forward. But there's a moment. I had no idea he was going to kill himself until the second that he did it. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. And when he did it, I gasped and I started sobbing. <laughs> like I had not had that reaction to a film like that in a really long time. And I was so involved in the romance of him and his wife. (laughs) Like, it's just so jarring how it jumps from the two of them, like, basically having a romantic scene to him killing himself. Yeah. And the moment before he does it, it's so comical. He says says something out loud and it's a joke. It's just startling. (laughs) Uh, So that's why he's on my top 10. I didn't know why his wife was Australian. I didn't either. That's my, that is a beef that I have with the movie. We'll talk about that. Yeah. Um, my, my basic complaint with Three Billboards is I didn't buy a second of it. I thought it was so wow. phony and so written, but I do not fault the actors because some of my very favorite actors are in this, even like in small parts, John Hawks, Peter, oh, yeah. Peter Dinklage, like amazing actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Woody was great. I thought Sam Rockwell was great. I thought Francis McDormand was great. But I thought it was a little bit of like, it's Francis McDormand, the Francis McDormand part. She's a tough old broad, and you know what that's like. You know, Sam Rockwell, you know, he's kind of quirky and kind of edgy. You don't really know what you're going to get from him, but he's kind of funny and sweet. You know, I I feel like it was a little bit of trading on those actors' personas. Mm. Um, But I I don't fault any of the actors. I thought they all gave really good performances. My problem with the movie was in the writing and in the uh, filmmaking in in general. So just to bounce off of that, and we're going to talk more about this when we come to our top 10, but 
uh, for me, it's like I feel like I've been watching these actors for years and I've always thought that they were good and fine and that these were the roles where I was like, these guys were born to play these roles. Mm. You know, like these roles are made for these actors. And it's not, I don't know, I don't feel like I have I often get to watch a movie and just think like, I can't imagine anybody else playing that role. Like I, I don't, I don't often think that. Cool. Yeah. I mean, maybe it was really well cast. Yeah. Uh, my number nine is Michael Stuhlbarg for Call Me By Your Name. And he's the dad, right? He plays the dad. I like that guy. Uh, great actor. He's always good in everything. He's been in a lot this year. He was also in Shape of Water and The Post. Right. Um, here's my pitch for you watching the rest of Call Me By Your Name. I will. And I, yeah. I do think that Army Hammer and Timothy Chalamet are really good in it, too. I really like the performances overall in it. I feel like it starts to drag a bit in the second hour. Like if you already were a little impatient with it, I feel like it's slow yeah. and it's a lot of, you know, long glances you know. Mm-hmm. and then for once they hook up, it's like kind of trying to hide their relationship and everything. It feels like a little redundant after a while. Um, but after at the end of the movie um, and this probably not really a spoiler, you know, uh, for you probably knowing what the arc of the movie is eventually army hammer has to go back, you know? And mm-hmm. so the, the teenage kid is just devastated that, you know, his, his first love, he's losing his first love and everything. And Michael Stuhlbarg, who throughout this movie has just been kind of like this genial, cool dad. Who's a nerdy professor of art and everything. It's kind of a peripheral character delivers like this seven minute long monologue yeah, to I've his son. This. And it's just, it's just, beautiful beautifully acted beautifully written and makes you kind of rethink the whole movie i kind of wanted the movie to go out on that note Mm -hmm. there's also a little epilogue at the end um that uh goes a little further than that but he makes my top 10 uh on that monologue alone and he wasn't nominated not nominated Hmm. no yeah i'm gonna go watch that you guys i promise yeah. I feel bad that I didn't finish that one before we did this. It's a good movie, and I, I think you'll really like that performance in general. Where are we at? Eight? N- number eight. My, my number eight is Paul Walter Hauser for the I, Tanya part. Awesome. Yeah. Anything more you want to say? Or? Nope. Yeah. We covered it. Cool. Uh, I've got Hugh Jackman for Logan. Okay. Is number seven? Wolverine, man. <laughs> nice. Uh, yeah, you, you don't need to see this movie. Uh, it's super violent. Uh, there's like a hundred beheadings in this movie. Also, a, a former employer that I have That's strong correct. PTSD about is in this film, right? <laughs> That's correct. That may be a trigger. Yeah. Trigger warning for Carla. Her former boss is in this movie. Yeah. Um, there's not that many actors in this movie, so people can probably figure out yeah. uh, who that is. But um, it's... It's a superhero movie, but it's it's Wolverine, and it's like years later, uh, and he it's just like the classic like re, it's like a Clint Eastwood role of like the reluctant grizzled guy with a heart of gold uh, who has to like take care of this young kid, and it, it's it's simultaneously he's taking care of Professor X who's senile, mm-hmm. yeah, and um, uh, Patrick Stewart gives a great performance too, and then this young girl who is the future Wolverine and his daughter, and so it's just like the the kind of classic grizzled old cowboy riding into the sunset role. I probably would like this film. Like I really liked the trailer. I was totally into it. Yeah, but I just I'm so 
tired of (laughs) X-Men. Sure. I don't understand the logic behind it anymore. They've changed realities so many times. Is that true? Right? That is true. Like the last one that I feel like I saw in the movie in the theater. Days of Future Past was the one that you saw. Yeah. Like they redid like they didn't know each other or something, right? <laughs> I don't I don't know. But by the end of the movie I was like, what the fuck just happened? Well you like you will like that it's the classic Patrick Stewart is Professor X and it's just a great relationship of him and Wolverine. And I know and so I get that. Yes, I understand that. And I'm not saying you can't tell stories in the same universe with the same characters. But it's just very confusing to me. Yeah. So I just can't get on board. That's it. That's all. Um, you know who's also in it and is great and is Stephen Merchant. Oh. Yeah. That's uh, not my former boss. <laughs> not Carla's former boss. Uh, number seven. Uh, number seven, I have Bradley Whitford for... Um, being a true asshole in both Get Out and The Post. <laughs> oh, yeah. Double roll. I love it. <laughs> double jerk face. <laughs> yeah. Made me so mad in both of those movies. He made me so angry <laughs> in The Post. Uh, I was very afraid of him in Get Out and then watching him in The Post. I just thought he had a great year of villains. Yeah. You know, I never really watched West Wing. Sorry. I did. Sorry, Rishi and Josh, if you're if you're Sorry, listening. Sorry, Jenna. Jenna's listening. Sorry, Jenna. Uh, I I've always liked Brad Whitford as a actor, um, but he feels like he is kind of entering like that character actor middle age phase of like being the epitome of just like uh, sleazy mm-hmm. evil <laughs> white really guy. Well. Yeah, it's he upsetting. Does yeah, like my blood boiled in both of those movies with him. Uh, yeah. He made me very angry. So I thought, well, that deserves some sort of mention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just introducing him in Get Out as like the genial dad is just like, hey, man, I wish I could vote for Obama a third time. <laughs> yeah. You know? uh, yeah. Good. Good pick. I also have somebody from the post at number seven. Who? Meryl. She got number seven? You feel like that's low? Well, not necessarily. There's a lot of great there are. Uh, uh, female performances this year. Um, I, I think we had mixed feelings about the post. Surprisingly. We were, we were so excited to see it. I feel like she's the number one reason to see this she's, movie. Yeah. I mean, duh. And we're huge Tom Hanks fans and he was okay. Though. He was okay in it. Yeah. And I thought it had some script problems too. I just, there was a, the thing about the post that shocked me was that I felt like it was a lot of people playing dress up. <laughs> yeah. Like there were so many, even just like group crowd shots, like when she's coming out of the hearings and there's all these women standing around, like looking at her in awe. It just felt like everybody was play acting yeah. or they like show scenes of protests and stuff. And I think the Slate got another shout out to Slate Culture, but Gabfest said this where it was like different tropes of somebody at a protest, you know, like one guy. Uh, playing guitar, singing a Bob Dylan song or whatever, and another, whatever. It just felt like very, it felt artificial in a way that really bummed me out, except for the moments when Meryl Streep was on screen. Uh, And this, the moment where she tells them to go to press and she's on the phone is one of the greatest acting moments, I think, in film history. Oh. Wow. <laughs> I don't know that I disagree with you. I mean, it's Thank definitely, you. I mean, in terms of like talking about like a 
30 second moment, you yeah. know, it's it's up there and it's hard because everybody has street fatigue, right? right? You know, even people who admire her a little bit are like, yeah, yeah, Meryl Streep, she's great, you know? Yeah. But especially if you really want to, you know, get excited about her all over again, like just see her in this movie because it's uh, it's it's such a great performance. And yeah, that moment in particular of like, uh, yeah, let's let's do it. Let's run it. Let's uh, let's, let's, let's run uh, it. Get, let's go with it. it. Let, yeah, let, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So good. Cool. Um, I'm going to guess she's higher. We on your just list, both did then. a really terrible job of that. I think of, we both got the worst. <laughs> <laughs> of but, you know, generally, Girl generally that what moment. that what that moment uh, was. But no, the scenes where and we'll just talk about this now because she's te- you guys all know she's on my list, but we'll just cover it now. But the scenes where she's dealing with the men who um, so she's sitting in a board meeting and having to she's practicing what she's going to say in front of this room full of men uh, with her lawyer and then she gets to the meeting and she can't find a way into the conversation. Yes. Um, like those moments were so well done, not just by Meryl Streep, but by Spielberg, like the way that it was set up and it felt so real that I felt really bummed out for the other moments <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that felt like with Tom Hanks and his wife, like yeah. that whole conversation or I don't know. They were just... To know that we're still having a conversation in 2018 about institutional sexism and everything yeah. and to see what Catherine Graham was going through in the early 70s, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a bummer, but also like it was it was empowering to watch how she played that role and, and it was a, just, uh, Catherine Graham's a very interesting woman and I thought it was uh, a, a an, performance that served that real person yeah very well and very moving and very topical and we saw it opening night in san francisco and the audience kept breaking out into applause <laughs> like just and yeah. that's always really fun yeah uh just to watch or to feel the audience freak out and just go crazy when when she had her moments of claiming power cool you're number six Oh, my number six is, I don't know how to say his name, and I apologize. I should have done more research, but Lil Rel Howery. Oh, yeah. Did I say his name right? Yeah, Lil Rel, yeah. Uh, from Get Out. You've got a lot of Get Out. <laughs> <laughs> He's just incredibly, I mean, in much the same way from the guy from I, Tanya. This is like the supporting character, right? Yes. Who's just so specific and fully realized. Uh, and he, he ends up playing a much bigger part in the movie than you realize. So Lil Rel is the guy who plays Daniel Kaluuya's uh, buddy who's yeah. dog sitting for him. Yes. You know, and ends up being kind of the hero of the movie. But he's the comic relief, basically. He's, he's to- he is. He's completely the comic relief. But he's so, like, I just don't think that movie would have been as fun to watch without that performance. Yeah. There was a lot of controversy over Get Out being placed in the comedy category, which of like, yes, it's... Bu- it's not a comedy, but and that's how fucked up the Golden Globes are. That it's so antiquated. Like everybody's got to categorize it in one or the other. Mm-hmm. But that's what I love about Get Out is it's so genre blurring. Yes. Of like it's a serious satirical movie about important issues. It's a straight up classic horror movie, but it's also really funny. It's in really places funny. too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I just really wanted to, yeah, just just to add him to my list because he was a big part of the reason I really loved the movie. Cool. My number six is uh, my number six is Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird. Oh, nice job, Laurie Metcalf. We just listened to a really fun interview with her on the Mark Marin podcast, mm-hmm. uh, which is, 
you know, we, we hate to plug other podcasts, but I really feel like our, our buddy Marin needs a little ex- <laughs> exposure. So, you know, I know we've got a lot more listeners than he does. So um. <laughs> it's so funny because I, I listen to a lot of Marin. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I feel like. I don't know. I've just had so many conversations recently with people who are like, oh, I can't stand to listen to that podcast, which is absurd because it's one of the most popular podcasts. And some of the best interviews you'll ever hear. I, yeah. Too. I mean, yeah. that interview he did, this is off topic, but I'll be brief it, with Sasha Baron Cohen a few year, couple years ago. Incredible. was one of the, I mean, I've never heard Sasha Baron Cohen talk like a, just a normal person with someone. I'm, I admire him, but I'm not necessarily a fan of his because mm-hmm. his stuff kind of turns me off a little bit but i had a whole new level of respect for him you're talking uh, about sasha baron, sasha cohen. baron cohen talking about his methodology yeah. and, and everything yeah go check that out you guys it's really interesting but the Lori metcalf interview of like she's so, so just down to earth and just like yeah. she's just like a working gal yeah you know? she's just like a working actress just doing her job uh but she is kind of like the classic passive aggressive mom uh, and all the scenes with her and Sir Sharona, like it's such like a well drawn out mother daughter relationship with a lot of complexity to it. And She's um, we we were watching that Roseanne behind the scenes thing. Yes, and it just reminded me of how when I was a kid, and we all my my family like when my family was still a family before my parents got divorced. That was a show that we all watched together all the time, and I just remember uh, how much we. Lo- all, like my whole family loved her character specifically. She's so recognizable as a real person, Laurie Metcalf. She's so real, yeah, and like so funny and so talented. But just, I, I don't know. I just don't think there's enough. There's just not enough. There's not enough women in American cinema or on American television where you can just be like, yeah, that's a person from my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, not the role that the character that the actress is playing, but the actress. <laughs> you know, she feels very. Um, just kind of working class Midwestern like I know that person that's a real person exactly and this I think this role I can't imagine anybody else doing this role either from Lady Bird you know the one character in Three Billboards and I'm like that person lives in that town is Sam Rockwell's mom yeah I'm like that's the one actor that I'm like I totally believe that that person lives in Ebbing Missouri she's great yeah Uh, who's your number five well things get a little blurry here (laughs) I feel like my top five are very interchangeable. Since we talked about Meryl Streep already, let's say it's Meryl Streep. Okay. I have to classify right cool. now. Although I could easily put her higher than this. Cool. I have Klaus Bang for the square. I wanted to see it. Yeah, I think you were digging it the little bit of it, it that was. you saw. Yeah, this is a two and a half hour satirical Swedish movie about a guy who runs a modern art museum in Stockholm mm-hmm. and it's very dry and it, it's by this Swedish filmmaker who I liked his first or not his first movie but the previous movie he made force majeure quite a bit and but Klaus Bang is a Danish actor who apparently is not even that well known in Europe oh. and uh, he's very handsome he's very handsome uh, and he just gives such a dry funny performance in this and it's this guy who's just trying to deal with all these artists and he's trying to deal with this journalist played by Elizabeth Moss that's uh, that wants to start a relationship with him and then he gets he's trying to be a guy in modern society like dealing with 
uh, diversity and art and all just like the modern issues of being a uh, privileged person. Right. Uh, and I, that's all I want to say about it. It's just a wonderful performance. I thought this movie was so funny in a very dry way. Um, might not be for everyone. I would say, you know, give it a half hour. And if you're like, this is not for me, then yeah. then you're fine. But I, I really dug this movie. I liked it a lot. It was very surprising. Um, Number four. That's what I had seen of it. Um, gosh, what should I do here? See, these are all, I feel very, let's go with Lori Metcalf since we've already talked about her. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I have Allison Janney for I, Tanya. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure you have her too. I do. I have, let's. Let's go ahead and say that she's number three. I don't know. These okay. all feel so... So we can talk about it simultaneously On the then. same level, yeah. Another kind of nightmare mom, but also like you do get a sense of like she's really trying to do her best of what she thinks yeah. is right for her daughter. Uh, and then yeah, another case where you see the real woman during the credits and you're mm-hmm. like, whoa. Like, well, Alice and Janney is so incredible in this movie because you never know if she loves her daughter or hates her daughter and it's Mm -hmm. she it feels so simultaneous you know like at every like each moment it's like oh she's doing that because her love she loves her no she hates her yeah (laughs) and it's such a complex surprisingly funny role yeah i i thought part of like the tightrope walk that this movie does is to present abuse, uh, you know, both from your mother and your uh, husband, in a way that honors the seriousness of it, but also finds way of of getting to the, you know, kind of dark humor mm-hmm. uh, and satirical aspect of it too. Um, Allison Janney just has like such a knack for a a, a one liner, you know, mm-hmm. like she can get away with so much by doing so little uh i mean it, it she's just a, a terrifying mm-hmm. uh mother in this role and, and she was so funny too like the, she just hits a lot of different notes with it yeah agreed who's your number three my number three is saoirse ronan for Lady Bird. oh yeah do you have her i don't but there i don't know this is tricky because all of the leads of these movies that we're going to be talking about or have talked about are all amazing. Yeah. Like she, it's not that she shouldn't be in my top 10. I was just giving some love to other people. Yeah. I, Saoirse Ronan is one of my favorite actors working right now, mm-hmm. period. And uh, I just felt like, I mean, this feels like a, a recurring theme, but she's just felt like such a real person to mm-hmm. me. And obviously I think it, a lot of it is based on Greta Gerwig's real life, but uh, I think also Greta Gerwig like took pains to make sure that it wasn't quite her, you know, it was yeah. somebody influenced by aspects of her. Uh, Saoirse Ronan, Irish of course, but just felt like so real and American mm-hmm. in this. Uh, I, I just thought uh, Lady Bird is just one of the most wonderful, original, vivid characters that I've seen in a while. And she, really brought her to life and I'm always excited to see what Saoirse Ronan's going to do next. Cool. Uh, my number two, again, this is, you know, I, this is somebody that I just really loved this year was Tiffany Haddish. <laughs> I did not see girls trip. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, she just made that whole movie for me. I, I really liked all the performances, but she's, do you think I would like me, that movie? I, I don't know. 
she made me laugh so hard that I was crying. Yeah. Like I couldn't breathe. I was laughing so hard. I had so much pleasure watching her performance in that film and I'm a big fan and yeah, she's incredible. A lot of people felt like she was robbed of not getting a nomination and yeah. and also that um that comedy movies in general get short shrift mm-hmm. for it. Um she did uh, narrate a drunk history story this year and it was one of the best ones that we ever did. Uh, it was one that we did with Busy Phillips playing the uh, the woman who saved a lot of the art during the uh, the Nazi raids in oh, yeah. the, the 40s and Tiffany Hash was so funny in that. But she was a real breakout star for this movie so maybe I should see it. I think you should. I, I think it would be worth it. Cool. That was one of the few movies that I saw in the theater without you. I went by myself. Yeah. Whenever that was, like last May or whatever, I was like, I'm going to treat myself to a movie. And I went and saw this by myself, and I had the greatest time. <laughs> uh, I have Willem Dafoe for The Florida Project yep, as my number I've two. Yeah, I missed out on that one. Uh, I really don't want to tell you too much about this movie. I think yeah. we've talked about it a, a little bit. Yeah, I don't want to talk about it. You lived, I'm going to see it. You lived in Florida for a while. He plays a manager of kind of a, a shitty like long-term residence motel. And uh, he, he's dealing with the, the, the kind of kids who were uh, kind of left to their own devices of like roaming around this place. And it just it's just a performance that breaks your heart. But he's also very funny in places. I think that's the main thing about Florida Project. Uh, it's very serious and hits like some social issues that we're dealing with in America. But it, a lot of it, as particularly the first hour, is very laugh out loud, loud funny. And uh, I, I felt like he was the odds on favorite when that movie came out. But mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell has kind of stolen his thunder a l- little bit. It's too bad because Willem Dafoe's had a great career mm-hmm. and this would be a great capper to it. Who's your number one? I guess my number one is Margot Ro- Robbie or however you say her name. Really? For I, Tanya? Yeah. Oh, well, my number one is Margot Robbie for I, Tanya. Wow. Yeah. High five. High five. Again, though, I feel like my top five... We could we could go anywhere with those, but she had to do everything in this movie. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, it's like the dramatic angle of uh, being a woman dealing with abuse, the comedy angle of it, and she literally had to skate. I mean, I know that they probably use effects and doubles in some they places. Did. They they like took her face and put it on the stunt double's body. Yeah, which is so interesting. But there's times where she's doing her own skating. Yeah. I mean, she's got to be athletic enough to be able to to pull it off. But I feel like just this is a performance that hits so many levels. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she was incredible in it. Agreed. Agreed. I don't know that I don't looking at my list. I don't know that I have a favorite performance of the year. I really liked all those things that I said Cool about all those people. I like that we had the same thing, number one. So even if, that's, <laughs> even if you had five things that tied for number one. Uh, I like that we were lined up. Top ten movies. All right, how are we doing on time? You guys, we're good. With us? You guys still, you guys still there? We're good on time. We talked about a lot of these already, so we don't have to go real okay. in depth unless something's new. Great. Your number ten movie. I put the post, and it's really because of Meryl Streep's performance. I maybe you know maybe Call Me by Your Name would be there, maybe Florida Project or Coco. Like I just missed out on so much good stuff. <laughs> So this is to fill out a list of yeah. 10. You had to squeeze one. Well, my in honorable there. mention was Beauty and the Beast because <laughs> I really enjoyed it, surprisingly. And so, yeah, I guess I'll go with the post because guess, that moment when she tells him to go to the press is memorable. Yeah. 
I got the post at number twenty three for the year. Oh wow! I've got a I've got a full top twenty five list. Uh, yeah, I don't want to make it sound like I did not like the post. I just thought it was disappointing. Could have been better. Uh, kind of a mixed bag. But so important for people to see it. I think. Yes. And you know, I think we're in the minority on this one because a lot of our friends loved it. Yeah, my, and my friend Angie, who I talked about many times on this podcast, who is not a giant Meryl Streep fan. <laughs> yeah. Uh, went and saw it and just like loved it, loved it. So I think go see it, you guys. It's important to see it. Again, like uh, a lot of it is if there's a similar movie that hits uh, a similar issue much better and uh, Spotlight from a couple years ago just hit that journalism angle so right. much better. I think so too. I thought and created like really vivid, interesting characters. Mm-hmm. And I th- thought that other than Meryl Streep in this that... Uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't get into the characters as much. Yeah, uh, Tracy I've, Letts is really good in it too. Tracy Letts always great. Great in uh, Lady Bird too. Yep. Um, I have the Big Sick at number ten. Oh yeah, good. Uh, yeah, I have a Kumail Nanjiani and uh, Emily Gordon's kind of real life story fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great performance by Zoe Kazan as uh, his girlfriend in a coma. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Very. Uh, very happy for those Girlfriend guys. And... In a coma. I know. I know. Who's that? Uh, the Smiths. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, just a really, really funny and sweet uh rom com. Mm-hmm. Uh, funny enough, I have the big sick as number nine. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yep. Really liked it a lot. Uh. Not. Not a huge Kumail fan. But that doesn't mean I don't like him. I just don't. I'm not very familiar. Like I'm kind of peripherally familiar with him in the comedy scene, but I don't know his voice or his stand up very well. Yeah. And so it was I was surprised at how much I really loved this. I like his stand up. I like his podcast appearances. He's just a really, really smart guy with a very specific voice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think he's more of a a writer and a comedian than an actor necessarily, you know, Mm -hmm. even... He's Play. always very nice whenever you see him. Yes, he's a very nice guy. Uh, I have good time at number nine, that Robert Pattinson Oh, movie. wow. Yeah. I got to see that. Yeah. I'm going to see that. I, I think uh, I, I think there's some really interesting peripheral characters in it, too. I This is the first movie I saw by these guys. It's these guys, the Safdie brothers, who were filmmakers from New York. So I have another one of their movies on my Netflix queue right now to... Uh, to watch i'm really interested in anything else they do because i thought it was really uh cool shot uh coolly shot mm-hmm. and well uh, edited as well so good time good time i'll check good it times out. with good time i'll check it out number eight um for me it was jim and andy the great beyond what is that <laughs> oh i know that's the <laughs> the jim the, carrey documentary on yeah. Netflix. uh i kind of watched this with you i don't think i saw the whole thing that counts though. as a movie right I don't know if it had a theatrical release, but yeah, it's a feature length uh, documentary, right? I was fascinated by it. I'm not a huge Jim Carrey fan. Like, I don't care, really. Or Andy Kaufman. Or, not fan, at all. Or Man in the Moon. When fan. I saw Man on the Moon, I saw it when it came out years ago. I was like, whatever. Okay. That's sad. That's a sad story. Um, I, but I just sat down and started watching this one night, and I was so. <laughs> I was so fascinated by how nuts Jim Carrey is. Um, There's this whole thematic thing of the idea of like becoming super famous 
and thinking that you can do and be whatever you want to and you can say whatever and nobody's going to uh nobody nobody is going to stop you because you're so famous yeah this whole kind of message that comes out of the documentary that i don't know that he is even aware of as he's giving this interview but it's like the most uh it's like the mo- it's like a white dude at his most privileged mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's all of these clips like he had a documentary crew following him around when he was filming man on the moon and so they have all of these this footage from that and he would be on set acting he would he said that andy kaufman was inhabiting his body like it was a spiritual experience for him he talks about it like andy kaufman was taking over his life when he was shooting this and watching Danny DeVito just like roll his eyes and be like, what the fuck is going on? Or watch Milo to watch Milos Forman, who's the director of that film, begging Jim Carrey to, to let to begging Andy. Can I talk to Jim now? Yeah. Yeah. Saying to Andy, Andy Kaufman in quotes, can I, can I please, may I please talk to Jim now? I would like to have dinner with Jim. We need to talk. Saying this to Jim Carrey's face because he's, convinced that he's really Andy Kaufman in like just on set it it's so bananas and bonkers and crazy and Jim Carrey in his interview so fully believes that this is what was going on it's fascinating I highly recommend it all right yeah I <laughs> luckily I think we're past that time hopefully in uh show business where somebody somebody's crazy personality can take over an entire movie like that yeah yeah i i get that it's like good cringy watching then but i don't want to i know i realize that what i just said makes it sound like that's why i was interested and i'm not i'm not trying to make fun of jim carrey i just think it's such an interesting character study of fame gone wrong Mm. and especially seeing you know like there was that whole clip with jim carrey at some sort of award show or something last year where he was on the red carpet talking about the universe or something yeah and just there's this whole like detachment i think when somebody becomes so famous that we don't really see except for on news clips and i thought that this movie did a really good job of kind of capturing the essence of that without judging it cool yeah good pick did i talk too long no okay because i thought you got bored for a second never okay that was your number eight yeah what's your number eight uh the square Great. Number seven? I'm going to see it. My number seven was Gaga, five foot two. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, is that how you pronounce it? Gaga? Gaga. Gaga. That's how I pronounce it. (laughs) Oh, with Lady Gaga? Lady Gaga. (laughs) Lady Gaga. I saw this. So (laughs) this is mostly, your list is mostly celebrity documentaries on Netflix. Well, no, it's not. I think I mentioned the post and the big stick already. We're only on number okay, seven. Okay, I'm basing it on the last two then. Uh, I also saw Gaga. It's amazing. I liked it. It's really good. I liked it. I am not, again, like, I don't give a shit about Lady Gaga. Like, I'm not, whatever, she's talented. I don't know anything about her. I don't care. I sat down and I watched this movie and I have so much respect for her now. I was impressed by how much of a grounded real person she is and how much she allowed us to see because she has she's in a lot of physical pain yes and like seeing those scenes it doesn't feel fake or like a put on at all like she's in a lot she kills herself to be this person to be this figure uh 
Yeah. Again, it's like that behind behind the curtain thing that I was just talking about with the other movie with Jim Carrey that it's just fascinating to me. Yeah. I mean, obviously the inspiration was Madonna, Truth or Dare, but I think Madonna is always so conscious of yes. her public persona and like you never really get to the surface of who the real person is. And I feel like you understood who lady gaga is and who stephanie is you know and that they are you know that there's this character she plays and that there's also the real person that was there and again this could all just be a construct of the producers like and maybe she she fooled us with that yeah yeah but it's just um it was just nice to see because you know it was just nice to see a movie where this woman was really in control or is in control of her persona and then see the parts where she's not and why she's not. Yeah. You know, but it feels it feels like she uh god, I I don't know. Now that I'm saying this, who am I to say this? But it just feels like she's a a businesswoman and she's very intelligent and she knows what she's doing yeah. and that was cool. And really emotional stuff too of like the tribute to her aunt and everything mm-hmm. uh and and you just see how fucking her, talented. Was her grandmother? It was her aunt who died young, right? Because she she talks to her grandmother oh, right. about yes, 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 yes. of like, is this okay that I'm using you know these parts of her life and everything? Yeah, because she made a. An, an it was album. her dad's dad's sister, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. So the uh, whole album was a tribute to her uh, aunt who died young. I think you guys should see this movie. Yeah, it's in my top ten. I liked for it. Real. I liked it. That was your number seven? Yeah. I have Coco at number seven. Okay. I missed out on this one. Yeah. I mean, Pixar, you're killing it. Like, uh, mm-hmm. Pixar, you know how to get me. Um, I think this may go up even further if I were to see it a second time. Okay. Um, it's like, it was solid all throughout. Very funny, very enjoyable. Gorgeous animation, of course. And I was like, yeah, it's good. It's kind of like the story is a little by the numbers. And then like the last act of it, because it's all about, you know, the Mexican Day of the Dead and like Mm -hmm. going back to interact with your dead ancestors and everything. It just, oh, it has like these twists that just I don't tell me. I don't want to know. Okay. Number six. Number six. I have Girls Trip. Cool. Anything more you want to say about it? Um, No, I think it's okay to just enjoy a movie (laughs) i don't think you have to i mean the tone is a little bit up and down there's this whole storyline about you know female empowerment and then you know women having just a good time together you know there's this weird like um, extramarital affair thing happening but nonetheless it's just an enjoyable movie with like really fun actresses who are having a good time and i don't know i don't have to think so hard when i'm watching movies. so you laugh you laughed your ass off throughout <laughs> i laughed my ass off like it was one yeah and it's very it feels like locker room humor in a way that was very appealing to me <laughs> cool <laughs> that i don't often get to see women get to yeah. do better than bridesmaids um similar similar cool. similar vibe uh i have logan at number six Okay. Which I already talked about. Great. Number five. Lady Bird. Cool. Uh, I have Dunkirk. I have to pick a little bit of a bone with you about Lady Bird. <laughs> okay. Did I say that right? Pick, pick a, a bone. bone. Yeah. Uh, I think it's because I said a little bit of a bone that I got thrown off. Um, We were supposed to see this movie together. That's correct. Your mom came into town. Yeah. 
and I got a text saying that you were going to go see it with your mom. Now, here's the thing. Your mom is a very kind, sweet woman. <laughs> I want you to spend time with her. She's a lot like the Lori Metcalf character in Lady Bird. But no, but I knew that this was like my movie. Yeah. Like, this is my life. <laughs> I went to an all-girls Catholic, Catholic high, high school. school. I was the bad person, like the the person who wasn't very talented in the school plays. <laughs> I My first love was gay. Like, all of these, I went to a big city to study. Uh-huh. I left home and had a difficult relationship with my mother. Like, a challenging relationship, I should say. Like, this was supposed to be the movie that I was going to see with you. (laughs) You went and saw it with your mom. And then you text me, this is the greatest film. You're going to love this movie so much. Yeah. And And then we talked and all you were talking about was how amazing this movie was. So I set it up too high. You set it up so high that when I saw it, I really enjoyed it a lot. But I was also like, there's no way I my expectations will ever meet this now. It feels so you like kind of ruined it for me. A I'm so bit. sorry. I mean, it's still on my top ten list. I still think it's great. Yeah. But I feel like it maybe could have been my movie of the year. Oh no. <laughs> me and my big mouth. I feel like you're not the only person though who like came to Lady Bird a little later and people are like, Yeah, it was good. Like, uh, I didn't get why people think it's so amazing. Yeah. It's it's hard because it's ultimately it's a small movie, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like a small personal coming of age movie. We've seen the coming of age movie all the time, you know. But it gets it right. It like, gets it really right, and the really specificity does. is really strong. The specificity is really strong. The tone is consistent. The acting is consistent throughout. The script is really funny and really heartbreaking and heartwarming and all those things. But because you told me it was the best movie. <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't I just couldn't get there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I'm sorry, that Greta Gerwig, sometimes. but that happens even sometimes. though you wrote the story about my high school years, I just yeah. yeah. That's that's what it is. Uh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> well, I have done Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> I did text all my girlfriends though from high school after and say you really should see Lady Bird. Because, Have they seen it yet? Yeah, but then I think I maybe did that to them because I haven't <laughs> heard from any of them. Pass it on. Yeah. Pass on the high expectations. I haven't heard anything friend. from any of them about it. Oh, so. too bad. But that's that's the the thing too though. Like when you go to an all girls Catholic high school, it's such a specific weirdness. <laughs> Yeah, that I don't. There was part of me that didn't that loved it, but then also didn't love seeing it reenacted. <laughs> Too close to home. Yeah, yeah. Where I was like, ugh. Yeah, well, I've done Kirk. Okay, oh. great. <laughs> number four. What do you got? Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. <laughs> I where do I have it on my top? I have it at number eighteen for the oh, year. Oh, it's better than that. Um, I'm excited to see it again. It's playing on HBO.com right now. HBO.com. I don't know why I said that. It's playing on, it's playing on HBO right now. Um, yeah, I thought uh, maybe it dragged a little bit toward the end. Nope. You know? Nope. Um, but, uh, I mean, Gal Gadot is, is Wonder Woman. I mean, like, yeah. who, like, as soon as you saw her, you're like, wow. Yep. You know? That's Wonder <laughs> like, Woman. Uh, that's the most gorgeous, uh, most 
physically fit person I could ever imagine. And but then she can also really act, and she has such charisma. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, oh, after we've just talked so much about being hyped up for movies and then being disappointed, there was so much hype, and I there was I went in just to support, really. You know, not thinking you don't really care about superhero movies. No. Yeah, Mm-mm. I mean, we're gonna see Black Panther this week, and I feel the same way. Like, I just want to go support it. I don't really care. I'm sure it's gonna be fine. Yeah, that's exactly how I felt about Wonder Woman. Um, so it wasn't like I was already team Wonder Woman and I just was sobbing and laughing and I was so into it. Like when she, when they, when, when they're <laughs> looking out over the battlefield and the men are like, we can't go, we can't go, it's too dangerous. And she's like, I'm going to do this. And she starts <laughs> running out in the middle of all, oh, like the music swells and she's running and she's like dodging the bullets and do it. Oh, and I just was sobbing i've never seen i've never gotten a i've never seen a woman behave like that maybe linda hamilton in terminator 2 is like the closest thing that i can think of and it just moved me yeah it just i just got wrapped up in it great relationship with her and chris pine too Mm-hmm. yeah that's who it was yeah and i couldn't remember the guy in it there you go but he doesn't matter it's all about wonder woman although i do like chris pine quite a bit uh, I have the Florida Project, number four. Okay. I'm going to see it, you guys. Get number off my th- back. Number three. Number three. Three billboards of whatever. Da, 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 da. Okay. So I feel like I've been kind of dancing around why I didn't like this movie. Well, let's tell real quick that you went to see it again with I saw me. it maybe opening weekend. I saw it very early on when it was still, you know, just kind of fresh in people's minds. It not turned into this uh, Oscar juggernaut. I had heard it was great because of all the critics' choice stuff, and but you had said, Carla, I don't think you would like this movie. I really didn't think you would. Um, and so therefore, I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not going to go see that movie. But then we got the screeners, and I was trying to prepare for this list, so I thought, well, I need to see the things that everybody's talking about. And just sat down and watched it and was so into it the whole time, which... I will be honest, it could it could be the, you know, it could be the reverse ladybird. It could have just been that you had said that I wouldn't like it, so my expectations were so <laughs> very very small that because of that I was blown away. Like that could be what's happening here. All right. Yeah. Um, but I just I'll tell I'll tell you why I liked it and then you can tell us why you didn't like it. Okay. Um but I <laughs> was constantly being surprised like I didn't understand from moment to moment I wasn't sure what was going to happen and it was really exciting to me mm-hmm. um, and that's it yeah like I just I did whereas there were so many movies this year where I felt like okay I get it I know it like this is the story and this is how it's going to play out I didn't know what I was watching I didn't know what was going to happen I mean Woody Harrelson kills himself halfway through the movie <laughs> Like, I had no idea that was going to happen. Um, more spoilers. Here we go. Uh, the part where she sets that building on fire, I was like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, it just it just kept heightening and heightening and heightening. And then I loved the ending. Okay. I thought if Seven Psychopaths was Martin McDonough's attempt at making a Quentin Tarantino movie. This was his attempt at making a Coen Brothers movie mm. to the point of casting Francis McDormand in it. Yikes. 
Um, Ouch, did you hear that, Martin? <laughs> I think Martin McDonough uh, writes fantastic dialogue. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a playwright. Um, I know, I've seen several of his plays. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I think he's very good at writing very fun, clever, witty dialogue, especially stuff that kind of like makes you choke on a laugh. Mm -hmm. You know, something where you're like, oh, that's, oh, I shouldn't be laughing at that, you know. Right. Um, but I felt like, I just felt like I did not buy any of the characters as human beings. They mm -hmm. felt very written and very contrived to me. And it felt like all of the characters knew what the playwright knew. I I, I said a similar thing about Molly's game, like because mm -hmm. I, I think Aaron Sorkin is very similar of how he writes, where he wants you to constantly know about the cleverness of the writing that's going on. But beyond that, I feel like it's taking on some very serious subject matter, mm -hmm. um, institutional racism, and mm -hmm. you know uh, the the police force. You know, like he didn't pick Missouri accidentally, right? This sure. is the same state as Ferguson. Right. Um, and so there, there's a whole thing of Sam Rockwell's character uh, uh, abusing uh, black prisoners, um, domestic abuse, rape, you know, all mm -hmm. these very serious subjects. But I felt like it dealt with them very flippantly. And I felt like it didn't take on the seriousness of those issues uh, mm. but that it wanted to just kind of score some... Uh, satirical laughs about those things but not really take them seriously as issues and so that made me angry hmm. while while watching that and uh i felt like there there's an inordinate number of hot women in this town for no real reason mm -hmm. uh that that struck me as weird i thought some of the actors and some of the more peripheral characters were overplaying the small town quirkiness of it um, but again, uh, I, I get, because I, I think there are parts that are very well written. Um, the actors are fantastic in it. They really are. Um, and I, I think he's a talented filmmaker too. Like I didn't think it was you know poorly shot or anything. I get why people are into it, but uh, I think from the get go, like in somewhere in the first 10 minutes, I already had a chip on my shoulder about this movie and I saw everything through that lens mm -hmm. through the rest of it where I'm like, fuck this movie. I don't buy a second of it. You know, I think that, and I was trying to verbalize this earlier, maybe when we were talking about Woody Harrelson, but it just kind of occurred to me what I really loved about it was that I never knew who was the villain and who was the good guy. And from moment to moment, it would shift in such a way where I disliked a character. And then in the next scene, they did something that made that made them the hero or made them the moral voice of the story. Yeah. And because that kept shifting, it was really impressive to me. And it made me it kind of reminded me. And I know we've been talking about this a lot lately, which is on Facebook, you know, people get so upset about one thing and it's it feels so black and white and nothing is ever black and white. Like a person can close a theater <laughs> and be a villain, <laughs> but she could also be doing it because she has to close the theater and she could have kept the theater open for years longer than maybe another person would have, you know, she's not good nor bad. These are all hypothetical examples. <laughs> she lives in the in-between, right? So, which is real life. And I felt that way with the mother, like with Frances McDormand, like at the beginning, you're like, oh, she's she's 
she's the wronged person here. And then suddenly this woman who you're supposed to be on her side does this horrific thing and you're confused about morality. Yeah. Uh, and that to me. And then the Sam Rockwell character is kind of the opposite exactly. arc where you're like, uh, oh, I hate this guy. And like, oh, now he's doing good things. You know? And Woody Harrelson and even, um, oh, what's his name from Game of Thrones? Uh, Dinklage. Peter Dinklage. Like at first you're like, this guy's a creep. This guy's a creep. And then he does this incredibly kind and sweet thing. And just none of these people live um, in good or bad. It's just like all gray. And that's what I what really jazzed me about the whole thing, I think. Yeah. Religion, too. She has a scene with a priest. I was where just going to say that. I thought that was so phony. And no. that felt like the... <laughs> It felt like Martin McDonough just getting on his soapbox about religion too, and like that didn't feel like a real character moment either right. to me. I just got up on my knees because that felt written. That felt written to me. No, when that happened, Craig, that's when I was into the movie. I was like, <laughs> I'm in. Everybody's always wanted to say that to a priest, and that's that to me is very real. Not necessarily her saying that, but because I grew up in the Catholic Church, and the idea of a priest coming to your house to help counsel you is like such a like that's just a thing that happens, you know? Really? Yeah. Like it never. Well, we did. We did have priests in our house when we were younger. You know, we didn't have any big tragedy that they were there for necessarily. But that's a thing that happens in the Catholic Church. Is priests will in these small communities will go and like, you know, counsel the families or tell them how they, you know, try to help them through it. But in a, but then it's just this confusing thing of like you're a hypocrite. Oh, that moment for me. Was one of my favorite in the whole movie. I hated that. I just thought, I thought it was so written to me. But it's what everybody wants to say, and I that's get the why Martin feeling, McDonough. The feeling is real, but nobody would ever say that. And that's fine, but that's what this movie is, right? It's high emotion. Yeah. It's it's not necessarily what we would do in our lives, but it's like maybe what we would want to do if these situations were happening. And that's what her whole character is really is just in reaction the whole time, like an extreme reaction, the whole movie. Mm. And I hated the ending. (laughs) I loved it. Hated the ending. As it was happening, I was like, Oh, please end here. This would be the perfect way for this to end. It's like, Oh, and spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. We're supposed to be on board with she's now going to go kill this guy who's not the guy. Except that they're in the car. That's what I'm talking about. That from one moment to the next, you don't know what they're going to do. But then at the very end, my takeaway was that they're probably not going to go kill him. I feel like this entire podcast for two years has been me trying to get you into these morally ambiguous movies. <laughs> Maybe it's working. You picked the wrong morally ambiguous movie, Carla. Uh, I'm no, sorry. I I'm, no. I I just think you're wrong on this one. I'm I might be. I'm definitely in the minority. I no, feel like more, I don't. I don't want to say you're wrong. I just mean I feel like I really liked this movie. I don't feel like I'm the only person. I feel like it is somewhat of a controversial movie, and it's been a little oh, div- sure. divisive. Um, people are on either sides of it, but I feel like more people are landing on the side of, of it's a great movie. Um, but it just it just rubbed me the wrong way. But I I thought you had a great impassioned, articulate defense for it, and, and I I get, I get why I get why you're into it. And can I just say that I really disliked the casting of Woody Harrelson's wife in it, and I'm totally on board with you for that choice. I was like, why is she? Why does she have an Australian accent? Why is she super hot? Why is she married to this 
kind of maybe not great cop. <laughs> yeah. Like that was a, that felt like a hot girl. Like somebody was like, we need a hot girl. So what's her name? She was like supposed to be a really Abby Cornish. Yeah. I feel like at a certain point she was like going to be the next big thing. And now she's just playing these kind of minor characters that are just in, in movies to help support older men hooking up with young hot women. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that to me, I hated that part. I will agree with you. Uh, but may you know, again, like I had, but she's a, she's still a solid actress. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the way the character was conceived, yeah. you know, Agreed. but again, I had such a visceral reaction in this movie that maybe I should give it more credit for being as powerful as it is. It sounds like you reacted to it the way that I react to most of the Coen Brothers movies. Or Martin Scorsese or David Lynch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was your number three. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I had Get Out at number three. Okay. Number two? I have Lady Bird at number two. I have I, Tanya at number two. Let's have, just quickly talk about that real quick. Cool. Because you have it at number one, I'm assuming. I have I, Tanya at number one, and you okay. must have Get, Get out, out at, number, at number, one. number one. Okay, cool. So... I, Tanya, I feel like is another polarizing film. Yeah, I'm. I'm we, surprised. We by had that. a viscerally incredible reaction to it. We saw it with our friend Jamie, Jamie and, Moyer, and her former, parents, former guest of this podcast. You know and love and her. her parents. So much fun. We um, went to see it on opening day in Portland. Tanya yeah. Harding from Portland. Yeah, exactly. You know, like it was an exciting. You know, it was right around Christmas. Not Christmas Day. I don't think we saw it, but. It was an exciting time to see it with a full theater, you know, and it was such like a wild ride. And I mean, you and me and Jamie kept looking at each other during this movie like, I can't believe they're saying this. Like there were so many scenes that just blew us away, you know. But it feels like in talking to other people, you know, a lot of people were offended by it in the same way that you were just talking about being. Yes, that it was flippant about abuse. Yeah. And I did not take take that from this film I'm in a very privileged lucky position where I've never been abused in that way so it's it's probably a lot easier for me to watch something like that and and not have that kind of visceral response um I I really felt like they were honoring the horrificness of it yes um but a lot of people that I not a lot but several people I've talked to felt the complete opposite i thought it was satire honestly in the way that it was being portrayed um and the moment for me that proves that is that is that moment where tanya harding's talking to the camera towards the end and she is and she has that speech um where she talks about you know uh oh you're laughing at this aren't you yeah well you you think we're so funny well you're participating in this as much as we are I thought it was such a wonderful twist of the knife that kind yeah. of like, in that same way that like Martin McDonough will make you choke on a laugh. Right. Um, like she's talking to the audience. Yeah. And we were just laughing and at we're something com- we're horrible. We're complicit in it. Yeah. yeah. And so, and then the, all of the stuff with like the, it wasn't TMZ at the time, but whatever that extra, extra, whatever yeah. it was with that guy talking about, um, what's his name? The Bobby Cannavale. <laughs> yeah. Character, Bobby yeah. Cannavale character. Like it's like the beginning of the tabloid culture, right? Yes. Um, where we think we know what the story is. We think we know who someone is just because of the way it's covered in the media. Right. And it was, I guess everything in the script 
um, from what I read, is either something that Tanya said happened or Jeff said happened. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean that either of them are right. You know, I thought some people criticizing the movie for inaccuracies with the facts, but I think... Or trying to get us to side with Tanya Harding, but I didn't... I didn't feel like that was the point of the film at all. Yes. I thought it was more about the culture surrounding it and our fascination with it. Yes. And and again, like kind of going back to that Jim Carrey movie I was talking about, which is just like this kind of sick, sick, like I can't not watch this happen feeling. Yes. It's surprisingly complex, like way, yeah. way more complex than it needed to be. I laughed out loud, like, genuinely laughing hilarious and then was really moved and really upset and it was kind of a roller coaster of a ride and i just thought it was fantastic (laughs) and yet your number one is get Get out Out. okay and i think i had equal amounts of fun enjoyment i guess is a better word watching both of these films but i just think get out is an important film in a way that i tanya uh it's just a, a film of the time Get Out to me is a film of the time that needed to be made and brilliantly made by somebody that we weren't expecting this kind of thing from, who's like a comedian. My former student. My former <laughs> but student. But like a comedian. you know. He somebody... constantly says that everything... Oh my God, we have to turn this off. Uh, um, my eloquent point that you just interrupted was that it's just an important film. So this is the number one movie. I will agree that 10 years from now, people will still be talking about Get Out. I don't yeah. know if I, Tanya is going to be in the conversation 10 years from now, right. you know, but yeah, I think you're right. Uh, it, it was a real, between Lady Bird, uh, the Carla uh, Snowden story, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, between Lady Bird, Get Out, and I, Tanya, I really could go it's for tough. either of them. I, I love them all just about equally. I, Tanya, I think I'm still responding to that visceral experience we had in the theater, but we had a pretty damn visceral experience to watch and get out and that's the other thing too like remember that was almost a year ago that we saw get out right so i mean it works as horror it works as comedy it works as satire yeah Yeah, and it works as a social statement yeah so that's a good pick and in terms of just a a well-constructed screenplay that kind of unveils itself from moment to moment and you aren't expecting it i mean i think that i think that this should win best screenplay yeah for sure Good job, Jordan. Good job, Jordan. Okay, so I gotta Jordan watch. I gotta watch Girls Trip. I gotta watch Beauty and the Beast. I think you should. Yeah, okay. I know this is. It sounds so um, on brand, but I think you should check those out. Okay, cool. Craig's listeners, this was an extra long episode, but it was a big year for movies. Oh, God, I'm sorry, you guys. Thank you for sticking it out if you've made it this long. Did we just lose all the fans that came out to see our shows this weekend? <laughs> there was a really sweet couple, too, in Seattle who came out who said that they had been in, living in separate cities for a while, too. That was and, really and that nice. The Craigslist podcast brought them together. <laughs> <laughs> well, that they liked it. <laughs> Yeah, we're dealing with this long distance thing. I can go back to LA tomorrow. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye, Carla. I miss you. And uh, Craig's listeners, you're listening to this on the week of the Oscars. So uh, watch the Oscars this weekend. Can I say one quick thing? I know we're so behind, but last year I left something off my list and I was so devastated. Like, what was it? I got it? so mad that I yelled at myself out loud when I was alone when I realized it. It was a movie called The Fits. 
Do you remember this movie? Oh, yes. And yeah. I absolutely meant to put it on my list last year. And I that might still be streaming, too. Yeah, it was a really cool movie. Yes. And I, shot in Cincinnati, yeah, your hometown. Yeah, my hometown. And so I'm not going to tell you anything about it because I want you to go look it up because it's unexplainable, honestly, except to say that it's a very uh, moving, visceral kind of, you're just going to feel a lot of feels watching it. Yeah. It's kind of short too, it's short, so like yeah. won't won't take up too much of your time. Yeah, it, it's a very cool indie movie uh, called The Fits. Okay. All right, so that's the addendum to Carla's best of 2016 list. Thanks so much, Craig's listeners, for listening to the best of 2017 list. And uh, next week, uh, the episode that we promised you last week. <laughs> Uh, is 2001 A Space Odyssey with Evan Schletter. So please, so good, you guys. please tune in for that. Uh, we're excited to hear what you think of it. And uh, we'll see you at the movies. The list is an absolute good. The list is life.